Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sound of Sanity. Oh, no, my nose is growing. <laughs> you already told a lie? The booking. Oh, my nose is even longer. Oh. No, it's Sanity at the Movies. That's awesome. The sound of my nose shrinking. And <laughs> I'll, I'll break it off and use it to make stuff. One can do that. Yeah. One can climb out of a monstrous knot whale. Yeah. Doing that. Absolutely. Well, Ben, we'd be lying if we said we weren't here to discuss, at least briefly, Guillermo del Toro's Netflix original animated film, Pinocchio. Yeah. Which we'd be lying. Be, yeah, we would. And we don't lie. This began as a discussion on our Discord, which you can join at patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies. A few of our patrons had seen it. I should just pull this up. It's somewhat interesting, at least. By the way, I'm Nathan, your humble and obedient host, and why don't you tell the people who you are, Ben? I am, I'm Ben. I'm the, what am I? I'm the preacher who's a teacher of cinema. The preacher who's a teacher of cinema, a very specialized It's It's quite specialized. Yeah. Let's see here. Where was this? Was this in general? No, this was in, in theaters, probably. Scrolling up. We have a healthy Discord, so you have to scroll up to find old things. Okay. Gene Adam says, Doug Tendepal is impressed with a new Pinocchio on Netflix. I'm going to give it a try. And then she comes back. And then Sammy, my new... Ten Naple. Just saying. Oh, yeah. Doug Ten Naple. Sorry. Oh, my. Earthworm Jim, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know him. Yeah. Not personally, but I'm aware of his existence. I just didn't remember that that was the name that went along it's with that existence. unusual name. Yeah. So Sammy Manuk said, I saw it a few weeks ago, wasn't terribly oppressed aside from the visuals. Are you guys going to do Glass Onion? To which I never responded, but yes, I believe so. Although it'll be interesting to see how we can fit it in. Maybe it'll be a little late, but we'll do it. And then Ben Solzer, of all people, chimes in. So just saw the new Pokemon last night. And then he gives his take, which I will let him give here in real time as opposed to reading it for you. It's always better to hear him give it. And then Sammy Manuk says... Pinocchio was a consistently unlikable character. And then Natum, I guess is how you would say her name. Ganatum? Natum, I think. Natum, sure. Good she's silent. That's what I'm going to guess. Uh, yeah, I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess the G and the N are silent. I'm just going to call her ATM. She says, in, have you ever read Pinocchio? In that sense, the movie was true to the book. Absolutely true. And then she says, the book Pinocchio was the absolute worst. I actually thought the movie did an okay job of making you understand that he was the way he was because he was born into that capable body without the years of training and how to use it. But I agree. He is unlikable. And then Ben comes back and gives some thoughts and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So here we are. I guess we have a little bit of baggage that we should discuss, which is our thoughts on the story of Pinocchio in general and all its forms and our thoughts on the films of Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So have you read Pinocchio? I don't think I ever have read Pinocchio. I have read at least some of it. And it is important to stress that Pinocchio is a very unlikable character. Mm-hmm. But what's the name of the author? It's Carlo Collodi. Collodi. Yeah. And this guy was writing, I believe, before children's literature was really a thing. So he's doing something that functions as satire and also functions as a moralistic lesson for kids. And so everyone behaves very badly, up to and including Geppetto in the book. I think the first chapter is like Geppetto and another guy getting into a big fight about some firewood and literally beating each other up. It's, it's, really? like, it's like that level of sort of exaggeration. <laughs> and then they're best friends after they come to some kind of agreement. So it's, it's pretty over the top. <laughs> the first time that the, the cricket, as he's called, tries to tell Pinocchio to, to be good instead of being bad, Pinocchio, I want to say he grabs a hammer and smashes him. Or maybe he just throws something at him. Either way, the cricket's <laughs> dead at that point. Really? So his conscience comes on makes a brief cameo in the form of this cricket, and then Pinocchio smashes it. And then I think the, cr- the cricket shows up later as a ghost or something like that, but the, the point is that Pinocchio is a, a little brat. Yeah. And he's throughout the book, and all the stuff that you remember from the Disney movie about the island of lost children and all of Pinocchio's adventures, they're kind of moralistic lessons. Don't go to the island of, what, what is it called? The lost, the... Pleasure, I, Pleasure Island. Don't, don't Pleasure go to Pleasure Island, yeah. Island. You'll be turned into a donkey and right. sold into donkey slavery. Yeah. It's all that kind of thing. But Pinocchio is constantly making the wrong choices. 
in the original version of Kaladi's book, or, or when he was releasing it serialized, I believe that Pinocchio gets hung at the end by yeah. the fox and somebody else. Like he just he just dies. And that was the end. And Kaladi was like, all right, hope you enjoyed my dark moralistic tale for to teach children not to be naughty. And then people wanted more Pinocchio. So he brought him back and turned it into a novel, put the serialization together, gave it a happy ending where Pinocchio does in fact learn to be a good boy and work hard and all that sort of thing. And then becomes a real boy. But that's like the last chapter after a bunch of chapters of Pinocchio constantly being tempted by shifty characters doing the wrong thing (laughs) and just generally sucking at life. So that's the book. It it is, in fact, to my mind, not very likable, but you you get what it's doing. You understand. It it is a very just cut and dried, like, Pinocchio kind of sucked and bad things happened to him and the people around him until such time as he didn't suck. And then Things were a little better. I mean, it, it's 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 just a children's kind of morality tale of the sort that they don't really do anymore, but that they used to do, like huh. be good or die, <laughs> that that kind of thing. Which I believe Kaladi wrote a number of those sorts of stories. Because again, there wasn't like a genre of literature that was just intended for children. So he's not thinking like, oh, I have to appeal to children. He's thinking like, how do I talk down to children? I mean, intentionally, yeah. like, how do I, yeah. what, what, what do I have to teach them? <laughs> and what I have to teach them is yeah. obey, don't be bad, don't. Yeah, yeah. So interesting book. I don't, I don't know how much of a journey to Pleasure Island it is to actually <laughs> to read it. Read it. Well, I never thought that the Disney movie was, was a journey to Pleasure Island. No. I never liked it as a kid. I don't, I don't know who actually likes it. It's pretty, I, I think I might, I have not gone back to it as an adult. I suspect no. I would like it now because I suspect mm-hmm. a lot of the things that are, mythic and kind of dark about it would would appeal to me sure the, the whale and stuff like that pleasure island stuff but but i don't know i've never really been tempted to go back to it no i mean it wasn't an enjoyable movie right you didn't like pinocchio it was just shameful and unpleasurable that he kept being such a brat and getting into such terrible situations right and that's the thoroughly even at that point sanitized disney version the book right. is just what if Pinocchio was really a brat so much so that he kills Jiminy Cricket the first time Jiminy tries to tell him anything? <laughs> of course, Jiminy Cricket's not personified as much as he, you know, it's, he's not a wonderful guy with the song and all that. But yeah, yeah. Well, this movie then, I guess, is splitting the difference between Disney and Kaladi. Yes. yes. And well, I, should we, I guess, should we just talk about Del Toro for a minute? Yeah, or? let's talk about what's your history with Guillermo Del Toro? Oh, I've seen up until. When when would he have made what was it Crimson Peak or Crimson Yeah, I don't know. Early don't know. early mid two thousands maybe. Okay, Audis. So before that, I saw pretty much everything he did. Yeah, I never saw his first one. What is it, Chronos? Chronos. No, I've no. actually never seen that either. But did you see Mimic with? The, I saw Mimic with Jeremy Northam and Mira Servino, which is actually a pretty fun it's uh, a of pretty of fun. the slimy things crawling through ducks and popping out move, genre. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a light horror movie. It's more of a thriller. Yeah, there's. There's not much in the way of gore. Yeah, it's, it's about these bugs that live underground and they're killing uh, people. Of all the aliens ripoffs, I'd say it's it's <laughs> yeah. the superior one. And the monsters are cool. They yeah. they, I forget what the thing is, why they are like this, but for some reason they take human form. So there's a scene. The best scene is probably she's in the subway and she just sees a a silhouette of a man, and then it unfolds into this into this horrible mon- bug, monstrous bug thing. Yeah, and, it comes after her. Yeah, if you like yeah. movies where people stick their hands into <laughs> into little yeah. holes trying to grab something, and you don't know whether something's going to suddenly bite their hand, then yeah. this is the movie for you. <laughs> anyway, it yeah, it's it's pretty fun. I mean, but that's like sellout, not sellout, but that's like yeah. Guillermo del Toro trying to find his commercial footing in Hollywood. That and yeah, Blade Two would be that. But then he made these personal kind of passion projects right so you got you got your chronos which is spanish language you got your devil's backbone which is an earlier span now that one devil's backbone i saw in theaters it was in select theaters as kind of an art house sort of Mm -hmm. horror suspense movie again it's like horror light it's really it's it's like a it is just it's a morality play with some horror elements well long time listeners know probably that you're not a big horror guy so what got you in the theater for well, it was it was the visuals. It was the fact that he actually he films his movies like fantasies. Mm-hmm. He's not like I'm going to show you as much gore and as much horrifying things. It's it's like actually this is a fantasy about a little boy. I'm going to give it all these incredible visuals. Right. And and also there's going to be a ghost that's kind of scary. 
and I was it just looked it was the texture of the film yeah. and that's what he's really good at as the texture of his movies the images he captures the ways he moves the camera the ways he creates a world through images he's really good at it he's a great visual stylist and probably the best living visual fantasist just in terms of putting together images I mean short of Miyazaki I guess Miyazaki takes the crown but mm, Guillermo del Toro would be right up there you yeah. know, just in terms of here's an image that evokes everything about a fairy tale that's right and he uses color which i love so few filmmakers these these days they just always take the turn the take the like color dial and just turn it way down so you get kind of a monochromatic uh-huh. look for a lot of more serious or adult movies but Guillermo del Toro paints in these big bold splashy colors so it'll be hues mm-hmm. of blue and red and amber and stuff and it's just beautiful even even in his corniest movies something like something like Blade 2 which is a kung fu vampire thing is yeah. beautiful to look at just like right. yeah these broad <clears throat> primary colors yeah <clears throat> and i don't know what i mean mimic is fairly unobjectionable mm. it, although we'd have to go i'd have to go check sure, it yeah but other movies i wouldn't necessarily recommend i mean the devil's backbone is pretty grimy pretty, well, i haven't yet mentioned pan's labyrinth i'd say both devil's backbone and, and pan's labyrinth you could at least make an argument for. I mean, they you could are, make an argument. They for. are they are artistic achievements. They are both very violent, among other things. I mean, he always yeah. has had an interest in the perverse. There's there's always going to be like little babies in jars or something like that in his movies. Just like gr- right. gross kind of circus paraphernalia that that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, yeah. But what's but he does he does actually want to talk about good and evil. He wants to talk about good and evil, and he wants to. In, in in a similar way to Miyazaki, he wants to similar but different. He wants to say, "We live in a spiritual world, one way or another." And it's just interesting mm-hmm. to engage with a filmmaker, even a very pagan one, who isn't a materialist. Now, I don't yeah. know what Guillermo del Toro actually believes about the afterlife or the spirit world, but his movies are very keyed into there just being a spirit world all around us. Right. They're, I mean, they're almost casual about it in a similar way to Miyazaki. Like, mm-hmm. here's, here's the bathhouse of the gods. It's just where they go to mm-hmm. hang out, whatever. You can accidentally cross into it. Right. There's those little gods and spirits and stuff all around us. Yeah. Guillermo del Toro has a similar kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. I think um, De- del Toro does tend to be, he can be, I guess, weak or careless in his, like, scripts and in his plotting. Yes. And you see that in something like his commercial stuff, Mimic, yeah. Blade Two. Yeah. The Hellboy movies, they have certain weaknesses. And I'd say Pinocchio does too, but we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll get to that. I mean, he, yeah, he he's a guy that doesn't care as much about plot. He's a guy that thinks dialogue as, as much as anything is gets in the way. Like, the less dialogue, the, the more you can just tell the story with visuals. Well, I don't know. Let me, let me, let me maybe push back on that, Nathan. Yeah. Maybe I'll decide that I just agree with you. But he maybe actually, maybe what I'm going to say goes along with what you're saying. Yeah. What he tends to do is he's so I think Spanish is his first language, right? Right. But he's he writes mostly English language scripts, right? And what he tends to do is he'll summarize like the lesson of the movie yes. in dialogue in a way that's clunky. It's yeah. like it's not as bad as Christopher Nolan, maybe, but right. it's still pretty like eh, that's not very good. And I know that right now all you're doing is telling me the lesson of the movie, but I think it's kind of dumb. It's either yeah. a dumb lesson or it's a dumb way to tell me the lesson. Yeah. And he'll just he'll just do this consistently. If you had he, just he let me figure out my own lesson, I would have probably like, thought that the movie was more profound. But the fact that you insist yeah. on telling me yeah. your cheap version of it makes yeah. it actually actually lessens it a yeah, lot of it, time. And, and it's I think he actually when he does that he it's he feels like he has a literary aspiration. The yeah, way he's going to do it. Sort of again a little bit like Nolan, mm-hmm. like like a scriptwriter like Batman Begins. Why do we fall, Bruce? Well, to pick ourselves back up and they're going to repeat that line over and over. Now, Del Toro's not that clunky, but yeah, he's, he's still... Yeah, he's much more tasteful about it. It's like he doesn't... Yeah. He has a similar vibe and maybe a similar talent to Nolan, but Nolan's like... Like, Nolan's like, yes, I'm great. I'm going to throw lots of Nolan dialogue in here. <laughs> Del Toro's like, yeah. he's spare with it. Yeah. And he plays to his strengths, which are the visuals. Yeah, I don't know if he's bad with dialogue necessarily. There are really colorful characters. There'll usually be some supporting characters he's, that are fun. Yeah, yeah, he he can he he can do it. He he'll make some jokes that are funny. I mean, he's I think his Spanish language films though feel more assured in yes. terms of like of of the dialogue and anything literary 
It's like, you're more comfortable here. You're just not going to make certain mistakes that you will in an English language film. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that, that that's true. He does tend to be really good at getting performances out of actors. Yeah, and, yeah true. I mean, he's pretty... He's got a lot of talent. He's got a lot of talent, yeah. And he's a gregarious, fun individual to watch interviews. He's a he's a good promoter of his own work. He's he's yeah. just like he's one of those guys. But I, but I would say there is a sharp divide. And somehow you intuited this and stopped watching his movies exactly when the divide happens. Yeah, because everything through Pan's Labyrinth is artistically bold and has a certain quality to it, even though he can be objectionable at times. But then you get into these later films and, and they're just bad. I mean, and I've, I kept up with them because I liked him enough, but Mm -hmm. every time I go, I'm just disappointed. So he did Crimson Peak, which was just bad and Nightmare Alley, which was just bad. And they're the kind of movies that what you just said, you know, the, the, we're going to have a lesson. Well, mm-hmm. they give you the lesson right up front, and then they pound it in and pound it in and pound it in. And the lesson is often a dark lesson. I, I think at a certain point, he got divorced. And I often t- think, as you'd expect, you can trace people's art through their, through their moral failings. Like you can see, oh, you, there's a pretty clear dividing line between what this guy was saying and how he was saying it before he failed in this or that way and after, before he sinned. And so... I don't know much about Guillermo del Toro's personal life. I can only speculate about that. But it does feel like he just washed his hands of even nodding towards any kind of traditional morality. The monsters all became even more just plain the good guys. And his movies just became ugly. They, they became more sexually depraved too, right? Yeah. They, like they became, they would have just gross stuff. I mean, that's that's why I... When I, as soon as I remember seeing the trailer for Crimson Peak and thinking, oh, this is a straight horror movie that looks very sexual. Right. And I don't, I don't like straight horror movies, and right. I, I'm just not going to even try this. Well, I don't think you would have been scared if you'd seen it, because it's not scary. That's one of its <laughs> failings. Yeah. I mean, he, <laughs> it's like his point of view so thoroughly shifted to the monsters that suddenly the monsters weren't interesting. They didn't feel other anymore. They just <laughs> felt like... Like Crimson Peak, it just starts with a ghost walking down a hallway, huh. and and it's very dramatic and well composed and all that. But it's like, okay, we've seen a ghost. We know what the ghost is. Like any horror movie worth its salt is gonna kind of be playful about is there a ghost? <laughs> and even if we know there is, like, but huh. and he used to. It's interesting because Devil's Backbone actually does the same thing. You see the ghost early. You see the ghost often. The ghost actually isn't the object of fright. Ultimately, in the movie, mm-hmm. there's a villain, which we should talk about his his idea of villainy because it's always the same. In that particular movie, the ghost doesn't feel robbed of its potency because you see him early and often. The ghost becomes a figure of sadness, and the ghost also just feels other. I don't know. The ghost is yeah. well done. It's a really well done ghost. It's not a scary ghost story necessarily, but it's a very good story about a guilty secret, which most ghost movies are. In Crimson Peak, mm-hmm. it just kind of has a banal feeling like, hey, ghosts. We yeah. all know that there's ghosts, right? And they're not really the bad guys. Really, fascistic human evil is, of course. And then <laughs> Nightmare Alley was the same thing. Hey, you, you know, we all know every... Well, actually, the ultimate example is that stupid movie that won the Academy Award for Best Picture, which was, uh, I want to say Lady in the Water, but that's not Shape right. Shape of Water? Shape of Water. It's about a woman who falls in love with a creature from the Black Lagoon, goon type creature. And he does nothing to humanize. First, he's going to make a big ask and immoral, evil ask. He's going to have the woman have a, a very bestial sexual relationship with the creature. But second of all, he's going to do nothing to humanize the creature. Like the creature is just going to behave exactly like the creature from the black lagoon does like in those old corny 1950s movies mm. like there's nothing sympathetic about it it's just it's just a creature it's just a creature it doesn't talk it doesn't and and then he wants to assert like yes this woman should fall in love with this creature and it's just like dude even if you want to do something evil like that well if you want to do something evil like that and you want 
audience members to come along with you. You have to be more seductive. I guess you don't because a lot of people were seduced by it. But for my money, it's like, you're not going to do anything to meet me halfway. You're just going to ask me to buy the conceit that it's beautiful that this woman fell in love with this animal. You're you're not going to you're not going to do anything to sort of butter me up and make me happy about that. Again, even doing that would be wicked. You understand? I'm not defending that, but I I am saying it's just it's like he's lost his moral compass if he ever had huh. one. Huh. And 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 Pinocchio kind of to me has uh, we'll get to it, but it has a little bit of that same feeling of yeah. The, what should be magical feels kind of banal ultimately. Yeah. It's like, eh, yeah, there's fairies, there's ghosts, there's an afterlife kind of thing. There's these God creatures and whatever they do things. Yeah. I don't know. There's something very kind of not magical yep. about it. But, oh, I said we wanted to talk, we should talk about Guillermo del Toro, a Guillermo del, del Toro villain because they're always kind of the same. Well, I would say actually there's there's two types. It it kind of depends what you what you mean. Right. But yeah, one is what you already said, which is fascist evil. Right. So there's there's an evil fascist guy. He just likes to hurt people and murder people and have power over he's people. He's just a, a bully basically. Yeah, he's just like a bully with a lot of power and he's a really smart, maybe sadistic bully. Right. And that would be Devil's Backbone to some degree. Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth for sure. And Shape of Water was that way. And I guess Hellboy. Pinocchio has want. that character in it, although he's <laughs> not the primary antagonist. He's just an antagonist. That's right. Yeah, Help. I mean, Hellboy also has that character. But um, then, but then the other kind of villain is, which is which is a very sympathetic villain. Yes, actually, and this villain is in reaction to the first kind of villain. Right. It is like it's the it's the it's the lost prince or the disinherited prince yes the prince who turns against his father because his father is at least presumably sort of a fascist sort of a bad dad right and so this prince becomes a villain yes but he's a sympathetic villain especially by the end and that's actually you have the exact same story and the exact same villain and the same actor playing it in white makeup mm-hmm. in hellboy two and in blade two yes nomak the what was he called what the reaver the reaver yeah, yeah, he loves that thing. Well, and that's what I sort. And that's maybe a good way of explaining what I meant about the shift that he's made. He used to make those characters sympathetic. Like, here's the person that really hurt them, and now they're. Now he sort of starts the movie with the premise that ah, monsters are sympathetic. You should just yeah, you should just sympathize with them. And I think that premise has always been lurking somewhere, pretty close to the surface in his work. Uh-huh. But it's just it's blossomed into yeah. something. So that's the work of Guillermo del Toro. I, he hasn't made a movie that I've really liked for years now. I think since Pan's Labyrinth, maybe. Sure. And Pan's Labyrinth is not a movie that I'd necessarily recommend. It's very, very violent, just in case anybody was like, yay, I'm going to watch Pan's Labyrinth this Christmas based on this conversation between Nathan and Ben. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe don't. Yeah. Enter the labyrinth at your own risk. But it, it is, I, I'd feel much worse if we accidentally made you watch Shape of Water, which is just a vile movie i mean it is just an apology for bestiality and i it's it's awful should have walked out of the theater come to think of it and there's only been one or two movies that have made me there's only one movie i've ever actually walked out of it was one hour photo with robin williams which was boring and depraved and then i was really tempted to walk out of noah with russell crowe which i hated with a undying passion but i should have walked out of the shape of water probably anyway i guess that brings us to pinocchio Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Yeah. What is your take on Guillermo? So this is an animated, if people don't know, it's an animated. It's like stop motion stop, animation. Stop mo- beautiful stop motion Very animation beautiful. film. It's a musical, actually, which they didn't highlight in any of the trailers, but it's got mm. songs. Maybe not a lot. Of, maybe not actually quite enough songs. I think it has a number of failings, and that's one. There's some very obvious lack of songs. Yes. Very, very obvious. Yeah. It's like, why didn't you write a song for this guy? And I think... That speaks to the movie's actually clumsiness and structural problems, yes. which it has a lot of. Yeah. Oh man, what a mess of a movie. Yeah. So what's your, well, what's your what's your take? My my take is that it has some really great parts. Mm-hmm. Certainly, the visuals, the animation is one of those parts. Yeah. Actually, the music is really cool. There's some songs that there's there's one song that's just fantastic, and there's I would say, and but maybe there's two. I'm gonna guess one of the songs that's fantastic is Pinocchio coming alive song yeah that scene is just wonderful that's yeah that's really good it's it's just great well, that's where del, del toro is actually being a 
a good fantasist because he's like, what would Geppetto actually feel like if this doll came alive? And Geppetto <laughs> is freaked out and he's got a hangover because he was he was drunkenly carving Pinocchio the Pinocchio the day before. Right. And Pinocchio is just like so excited to, to be, be alive, alive and experience everything. And he's breaking everything he's, in the house and throwing knives around right, and, and terrifying Geppetto yeah. and smashing all of his stuff. And Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of marvelous. And it also, well, this movie this movie has structural problems, plot problems of like not caring about making any sense of the transition from one escapade to the other. And yep. I'm going to guess that Collodi's book is quite episodic, and that's fine. But there's a way to make an episodic thing feel intentionally episodic. Yeah. And then there's a way to make the audience feel like, wait, I thought you were trying to create a coherent world a minute ago. Right. Because you sure gave me a lot of like, this is a coherent world and we're going to build it. And then you're like, no, nah, it doesn't matter. This happened next. Right. And then, oh, this character showed up. What do you know about that? It's like, wait, that's really arbitrary. What? Yeah. So this movie has that flavor the whole way. Of like, Agreed. It's just arbitrary. Um, it also has thematic problems, which is maybe, I don't know how to get into this, Nathan, but it, it it's basically, well, it's an immoral movie, mm-hmm. and its thematic problems are related to its foolishness and immorality. Yeah. But the, the structural stuff goes right along with it, because he wants to make a movie about bad dads. Right. That's what he wants to make. Yeah. He doesn't want to make a movie about a bad son. He actually wants to make a movie about an awesome son. Oh, yeah, he's a brat, but basically... Basically, in this movie, by the time you get to, by the time you get like, I want to say 45 minutes in, Pinocchio has actually become the perfect son. Mm-hmm. And Del Toro does not tell you that's happened. But, the, but after that, all, all it is is Pinocchio being victimized by bad fathers, while Geppetto, who's now actually become the perfect father, mm-hmm. goes looking for him. Right. And that's it. Yeah. That, that's it. So, so Pinocchio becomes the perfect son. Shortly thereafter, Geppetto becomes the perfect father. But then... Pinocchio is still unfortunately reaping the fruit of Geppetto's earlier bad parenting, mm-hmm. and he falls prey to a number of bad fathers. Right, and that's that's the whole movie, and it's it's frankly crap. Yeah, no, I hated it. I mean, I there were things I liked about this movie, but as a thematic arc, I mean, a it is a direct rebellion against and subversion of the story of Pinocchio. Yeah, as conceived by Collodi and as done by anybody else like it is it's 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 like if you went and saw a version of beauty and the beast and in this one beauty needed to learn to be more of a beast you know it's like let's take the the story and let's twist the moral 180 degrees so it's going the exact opposite direction yeah of Snow White needs to learn to be more vain or right it is that much of a subversion I mean this is a story about a little boy who, in order to be human, needs to learn to be good and not be a brat and not fall prey to all these temptations. And Guillermo del Toro wants to hold up a giant middle finger to that and say, actually, a little boy like that is just an innocent and it's the world. It's the world and it's the adults and it's the father figures that mess everything up. Right. And Right, well, but but the the thing is, though, that he does that so clumsily that he's actually, what's funny is that he actually, Pinocchio becomes an absolutely submissive son. Yeah. And he doesn't even track it in the script. Yeah. And it's like, wait, you realize that Pinocchio stopped being a brat, right? Right. Like you made him stop being a brat and now he's just, he's, I mean, he's still got that sort of an irrepressible thing, but only in a charming way. Right. In my opinion. Yeah, no, I think you're right. He, he Because he doesn't want to really say that Pinocchio was ever a brat. Like, to him, it's all of a but, piece. But, but, but he's wrong. Like, like yeah, he no, actually I changed agree. Pinocchio's behavior. Yeah, he did. Like, he made him a different person. But that's like Guillermo del Toro actually, like, believing that, like, like if Guillermo del Toro, I think he is a father, I assume with his yeah. kids, yeah. like, he's like, oh, yeah, I just need to be accepting of them. And this brat phrase will blossom into what is already inherent in <laughs> yeah. it, which is just a lo- an enthusiastic, optimistic love of life, as long as I don't repress it. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's just a, it's a, it's an absolutely disgusting and stupid, and, and like you say, not sensible. Like it doesn't track. It doesn't, it doesn't make track. for a story that even makes sense. No message. Yeah, I mean, I I found that there were parts of it that I'm still thinking about because they were charming or well done. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. You, if you want me to go further, I don't know if you want to give your broad take or if we want to just start. Because I, I think I just did. I mean, I, the morality okay. of this movie is okay. so. 
overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, I've seen interviews with yeah. Del Toro where he says that's exactly what he was doing. Like, right. like he says, all the stories of Pinocchio are about how Pinocchio is a bad boy. I'm going to make one about how it's Geppetto's a bad dad. Geppetto's a bad dad. Yeah, right. like he's just he just said that. So that's not that's not our that's speculation. Right. That's, no, no, no. But it's very obvious. It's very much the movie's thesis statement. Yeah, I mean, I think if we talk through it real quick, we'll we'll actually come on some other like plot and world building problems that are just incredibly careless. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's my take. So take it away. Like what? Okay, sure. I mean, so you have, I, th- I think the opening 10, 15 minutes are just great. Yeah, Geppetto pre-Pinocchio. Pre-Pinocchio. So he loses his son, Carlo, and then he, built, he, he chops down this pine tree that Carlo had planted. Yeah. Because he, he hates it because it reminds him of his dead son. And he carves Pinocchio while he's drunk yeah. out of that pine. And that's all kind of like scary and dark and fascinating. This is not a kids' movie, by the way, folks. If it's not, this is not a kids' movie. No, my, my wife tapped out. She found it to be just. She's like, "Oh, it's great! So dark. The kid got blown up, and now there's monster. There's a like the blue fairy. She's not called the blue fairy, but the blue fairy. The wood type, sprite they call her. She's just. She's not horror movie exactly, but she's just got she's enough close. of that creepy otherness that Meredith was just like, eh. She has uh, eyes all over her. I mean, Del Toro is stealing from. Pagan monsters, and he's stealing from ideas of biblical seraphim. Yeah, he like and he likes to do that in his movies. Yes, well, it's important to remember he's Spanish and he grew up. He's he's a lapsed Catholic. He's a lapsed yeah. Catholic, exactly. Yeah. So he's got Roman a lot Catholic. of Catholic imagery. That's one of the things that makes his movies fascinating. But, it is, it is. But anyway, well, anyway, so you got that. You got the sequence where the, the wood sprite comes in, and Jiminy Cricket gets introduced in a relatively charming way, although. Um, his casting is a is a failure. I mean, Ewan McGregor is not a good Jiminy Cricket. I thought so too. And people have talked about how much they like him. I've seen. Nah. He was bad as Lumiere in that stupid Beauty and the Beast remake. I don't know why. He's not a voice actor. He's just not a voice actor. Yeah. I don't know why you cast somebody with such a nondescript vocal presence. Like there's there's wonderful vocal actors you can get. No, and, and that's, we, we should say Geppetto is, is amazing. Geppetto's awesome. Yes. And, and Pinocchio is awesome. And his singing voice is crazy. Yes. It's so good. It's really good. And I would say, I mean, most of the casting's good. Christoph Waltz is the main bad guy, the circus guy. was pretty good. Yes, yes. I like him. Although even him, I thought he could have been bigger. I I agree. Yeah. Um, You got evil fascist dad. He was nothing. Yeah. That that was the obligatory Ron Perlman cameo. I didn't even know it was Ron Perlman. Yeah. For for being the obligatory Ron Perlman cameo, it didn't have a lot of bite to it. That's annoying. Yeah. Okay, well, just so so just to continue, I mean, you've got yeah, you've got all that stuff. You got Pinocchio's wonderful wake up song, mm-hmm. which just is both. Now, this is where Guillermo. Del, it's like maybe the only place where Guillermo del Toro successfully walks that line between, hey, this is terrifying, and Pinocchio's a brat, but also, man, what a charming brat he yeah. is. And he 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 just does that, but he can only hold on to it for one scene. Yes, really, I'd agree. The movie's good up to that point, though. Right. Yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. So, and then, and then it just becomes a hash of stuff. It just becomes a hash because suddenly Pinocchio is introduced to the town, and the town is horrified. Yeah, but then, but, then, but, then, but then they're not horrified. Parable about acceptance. It seems like, but then yeah, it's but, not. But and, and then and then it's suddenly like everyone just accepts that this animated puppet is a thing, and the fascist, the bad fascist father who has a son who's clearly just a type of an abused, suppressed son who mm. has a dictatorial dad. He's like, Pinocchio should be in the army for fascist Italy. And, and you're like, oh, man, these guys are stock character types. And I know, what, I know what this is, and I know what the movie wants to say about it already. And it's not putting any time or energy into making them characters. Yeah, they're, gee, I, they're wonder, I wonder if the fascist leader of the town is going to be a good guy or a bad like, okay. It's just, it's just pathetic. And, and, you, and, and you get some of the old plot beats, like Pinocchio, go to school. Well, Pinocchio gets seduced by the carnival, right. Volpe, the carnival leader, and the monkey, Spazzatura, or yeah. whatever, and, and becomes part of his show, and there's just all this plot stuff about he signed a contract, and Geppetto's like, no, we're not going to abide by the contract, and the fascist guy's like, he's coming with me, and then Geppetto's just like, actually, we're leaving, and they leave, and you're like, wait, are you, are you actually, is this a series, are you going to actually have a plot here or not? Because right. you, just, you just told me that there are, there are three things in play, and then you, and then Pinocchio gets to go back with Geppetto. I guess all of those things do play out, but just they, kind of randomly when they want random. to. Yeah, yeah, just just as the movie wants them to. Yeah. Well, I, but that brings us almost 
at least that brings us close to the part where Pinocchio dies for the first time. And this is where the movie just, it's just done. I mean, so the, the, the conceit is that what, it's almost done because this would, so this wood fairy creature, the blue fairy type is the sister of death. They're like two sides of the same coin kind of thing. Yep. And because she, so she's, so it's life and it's death and life came and life gave life to Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. And because she's done this for some reason, that means Pinocchio can never die. But when he does get run over by a cart or something, he goes into the afterlife, hangs out with death along with some comedy rabbit minions. Yep. And then gets sent back. Yeah, yeah. And the conceit is, so, and that's where death is going to give Pinocchio one of the main lessons of the movie, which is, well... It, because because Pinocchio is like, oh, I'm immortal. That's great, right? And mm-hmm. death is like, well, Pinocchio, actually, the reason why human life is so precious is because it's so brief. And I'm just like, you're an idiot. Like, I've never found that seductive. There's pagan, like paganism all these, sucks. Uh, yeah, it's just like so much of what pagans do. I'm like, oh, I get why I could be seduced by that. But that one, I'm just like. You just love death, don't you? You just love death. Like, yes. uh, no, I want to live. <laughs> and Neil Gaiman is the same. Like one of, except Neil Gaiman is smarter. Yeah. Like one of the most seductive stories in the Sandman is, and I, I'll use the word seductive because I think it actually is, is in, in the Sandman comic book series, if you don't know, and don't go read these, by the way, I'm not recommending them, but they have exerted some force in our culture. Sure, yeah. They've, they've done some stuff. It's now a Netflix series that I'm sure is incredibly gross and depraved because the books are pretty gross and depraved, yeah. but these are comic books. So in the Sandman mythology, death is one of the, is one of the undying siblings or whatever they're, they're called. And death, is this really cute, like, goth girl. Yeah. Like, she's really pretty and sweet. And that's one of you. So that's already pretty subversive, right? And, and there's, a, there's a story about, about finding comfort mm-hmm. in death. It's like the first, first and most famous that's Sandman right. story. And it is, a, it is a good short story. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it's, and it's seductive. And, but Neil Gaiman is just in love with death. And he, he wants to be in love with death. And Del Toro is the same. And so that... That stinks, and it's dumb. But as the movie goes on, like, I think it's the next time Pinocchio dies. No, 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 it's not. It's a couple times after. Pinocchio wants to, he has to wait in between dying and coming back to life. Longer and longer each time. Each time he dies, he has to wait. Right. And he wants to go back instantly because Geppetto's about to drown. Right. And he needs to go back to save him, and he can't wait. And, and death is like, well, Pinocchio... If we, if we broke the rules, there would be dire consequences. And, and the dire consequences would be, wait for it, that Pinocchio would become mortal and be able to mm-hmm. die. Now, wait a minute. I thought that was what made mortal life precious. Mm-hmm. But now death is like, oh, no, you would lose your eternal life. Wait, wait, what? I thought the whole point was the eternal life was a crock. It was bad because, because you want to be human. You want to have that precious value of having a brief life. So which is it, death? Like, which is it? Are you even? Are you not even going to play by any of your own rules thematically? Well, and and it, that it, that thematic problem trickles down into just the world building. Like, wait, what? Why? What? Yeah. These these rules feel really arbitrary for this fairy tale afterlife. It is arbitrary. I mean, because you Jiminy have, Cricket or whatever his name, it, yeah. Sebastian J. Cricket, he, Sebastian he gets a wit, he gets his own wish for some reason, which plays into solving the, the last plot problem. and But then at the end, Sebastian J. Cricket, who's, who's dead, is still narrating the movie, and he's talking with those under, underground rabbits. And so, like, wait, is death death, or is it not death? Like, why is he... He doesn't have eternal life. Why is he still alive? Why does he get mm-hmm. to talk and sing and dance in the right. afterlife? So the movie is just like, eh, we don't really care. We just don't care. Mm-hmm. We're just doing whatever we think is charming or... Suits the plot. Yeah. That's most of what, well, actually, there is one other thing, <laughs> which is that, which is that, oh, you've got the dad problem. Mm-hmm. Geppetto is a bad dad. Yep. Because he's, he wants Pinocchio to be Carlo. He wants him to be his old dead son. Right. And that's dumb. Okay. I agree, Del Toro. That's dumb. That's, right. That's too bad. But wanting him not to be a Brad is not bad. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Volpe. You've got the carnival guy who's just treats Pinocchio like a puppet. Yes. And I mean, everyone treats, every bad dad treats Pinocchio like a puppet, really. And then he's, he's going to enslave him in his carnival and use him to make himself look good and build up his brand. Okay, bad guy. Mm-hmm. Well, don't worry, he gets killed. Yep. <laughs> he, he dies. He dies in a really arbitrary and dumb scene. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you've got fascist dad. Mm-hmm. 
And you've got this bizarre scene of these boys training in the fascist army with paintball guns. Right. And and the dad decides that he's going to go full evil and make his own son shoot Pinocchio in an, in a completely arbitrary yeah. arbitrary stupid thing. But don't worry because <laughs> before anything else can happen, his own son shoots his dad in the head with a paintball gun, causing him to stumble back and get caught in a net <laughs> just as planes mm. are dropping bombs and we follow the point of view of a bomb dropping straight onto the struggling, screaming dad in the net. Yep. Wait, huh, I wonder what Del Toro thinks of fascist dads. Yep. He yeah. thinks they should be caught in a net and have a bomb dropped on them. Be- so, Guillermo Del Toro, all you're telling me is that you are a bitter, bitter, yes. bitter man about your dad. And that's all that you have to tell me about. Oh, and that you have no sympathy for monsters, actually. Nobody loves a good sympathy for monster stories more than I do. But Guillermo del Toro just says, hey, these people that you think are monstrous, they're just good. And then <laughs> there's other people that are monsters, and I hate them, and they need to get <laughs> caught in nets and blown up. And it always makes his movies so much less interesting. I mean, even even the good ones. It's like, Let's shade out these bad guys a little bit. Why? What what makes somebody that much of a bully or that much of a sadist? Like, what makes somebody treat his son like that? What's the son's relationship to him? Does he still love him on some level? Like, ask a few of those questions. And, and you, you could have a much more interesting... Oh, my goodness. You might, you might have something to say about fascism in your condemnation of it. But instead, you're just going to keep scratching at that this itch because your dad was mean to you or some bully or something. I don't know what, but Man. it's just like... <laughs> like why do you, why do we have to set a Pinocchio movie in fascist Italy at all? Why, why does this movie have to say anything about man? The original story of Pinocchio, by the way, is much older than that. Is not set in case you didn't know this. In I mean, obviously it's not because the Disney movie predates right Mussolini by at least a few years. But yeah, the book predates him by quite a few. But this this intentionally moves the story forward, sets it in fascist Italy. Which is not, I mean, he could have done Franco's Spain, which is a little closer to his language and his people and all that and something right. that he's done before. But he's actually done Franco's Spain twice, I think, because Devil's Backbone, if I'm remembering correctly, yeah, was, that's right. was Franco's Spain. Yeah. And that at least has a, a little bit more interest to me because it's like, it's, yeah. it's something that I don't know that much about. And it's something that Guillermo del Toro probably does know a lot about. But but fascist Italy, just kind of a boring. <sighs> it's just the Nazis. Yeah. And, and, and this movie also has the time-worn message that war is bad. Did you, hey, Ben, did you know that war is bad? No, Nathan. <laughs> war is bad. It kills people. <laughs> <laughs> Make me a movie about it. Oh, my goodness. Uh, what a brave stance. I mean, there's obviously a lot of us really love fascists, but Guillermo del Toro, he's just, he's brave enough to say, you know what? Maybe we should he, not love fascists. He's just like the fascist leader's son, Candlewick, who's, who has enough courage to another arbitrary character who's obviously the toughest and strongest of of the of the real boys Mm -hmm. (laughs) it seems to me anyway that's how the movie presents him he's like the most successfully athletic and then he tells his dad i've always been weak like a candle flame and and i'm a coward but at least i have the courage to stand up to you and you're like actually your movie never established any of that it established that you were a pretty tough courageous kid but then for some reason your dad hates you and you resent your dad and you're going to shoot him in the head with a paintball gun. And then when he gets completely blown up, you're going to go trying to find Pinocchio, who you're actually worried about. And it's like, dude, what a hateful, dumb, careless movie. Well, and the movie doesn't care enough to even tell us what happens to Candlewick. No, I, was, I was shocked no, that we didn't catch up with him at the end or, no, or, or something or see his grave or like no. determine whether he lived through that firebombing. Like the, the movie just doesn't no, care. It, does, it doesn't care. And then it's going to end with, with the beautiful moral. What happens? happens and then we are gone mm-hmm. thanks thanks Guillermo del Toro yeah I mean that that, that that inspires me for sure I remember listening to a sermon when I was a kid like I was a young kid and it was a sermon about death that the preacher was giving and my hands and my feet went numb and it was one of the, the early times in my life that I remember really contemplating death and I just got this weird numb like oh it might be 70 years from now, but I'm going to die. There's nothing I can do about it. And then I will be cold and dead and my spirit will be somewhere. Just just contemplating those kinds of things for the first time and just, just experiencing the ickiness and the 
horror of death. And that's the feeling. I don't get that feeling very often, you know, even going to funerals, just being a, 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 an adult, death is a little bit more banal and more of something you've dealt with. But that kind of, shall we call it annihilationism, like that, mm. that kind of love of death really gives me an icky, icky feeling. Like, ugh. it's It's, it is intended to trap you. You are not talking about some spiritual transcendence. You are talking about your body cold and lifeless on a slab in a morgue somewhere. It's and not a pretty thing. It's not a pretty thing. And they want you to find a beauty in it. And it's it's a sentimentalizing of death. And I can forgive that in a 20-year-old. I can forgive a 20-year-old. I mean, I, I don't think it's good. I, but I can forgive a 20-year-old reading a vampire novel and thinking, oh, that was cool. You know, being dead is cool. But... A 58-year-old, whatever Guillermo del Toro is, someone who's presumably seen people die, lost people, experienced death, the death of his parents, whatever. I mean, I don't know what he's experienced of death, but I'm sure he's experienced something. And it's, and it's like, you can still romanticize it that much. Yeah, I mean, the the whole, the end of the movie is is very depressing. Guillermo, you know, Pinocchio comes home with Geppetto and the redeemed monkey, <laughs> the evil carnival monkey, Spazzatura, who's now mm-hmm. a good guy, and, and Sebastian J. Cricket, and in a, in a three-minute, four-minute sequence, they all die. Mm-hmm. And Pinocchio walks off alone past their graves. Right. And, yeah. I'm not opposed to that, those being the facts of the ending. I'm not opposed to that either. I like the the wandering Jew archetype, the, the person that's condemned to not die and lives through history. That's, that's, a, that's a fun fairy tale or fantasy trope. But, yeah, this was a, they didn't do anything interesting with it. And it didn't really have anything to do with the rest of the story, be, well, beyond just Guillermo del Toro loves death and wants it to be a reoccurring motif. <sighs> I mean, for all that, the movie was pretty. The songs were pretty. It was compelling at times, I guess. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it, I don't think. No. Even for adults that could see right through the the garbage of the philosophizing, it's just the philosophizing poisons the pleasure of the story itself enough that yeah. it's just... That plus the plot problems and yeah. the, just the, like, here's a rule of this world. Oh, now it's broken. We don't care about it. I mean, it's just like this movie is so sloppy. Again, like I, I posted in Discord, mm-hmm. the, the Nathan Alverson phrase, ritual the couple from meaning. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I would say it's fragmented enough throughout that the ritual is decoupled from meaning. But then Del Toro is like, hey, my, here's my ritual's meaning, and it's the dumbest one ever. and so whether you think this is a ritual decoupled or somewhat shakily coupled either way it sucks yeah Uh, yeah better knuck better knuck less time (laughs) del toro (laughs) yeah i don't think he's going to make another good movie i think he has i think he has washed his hands of life i think he did it 10 15 years ago he's not interested in having just a relatable human protagonist that likes human things and isn't a monster in some way. And it's too bad. He's a very yeah. talented gentleman. Yeah. He's talented. And the world's hurting for animated movies that don't look like other animated movies. And this is a lot of talent went into yeah. this thing. It's very beautiful to look at. Yeah. But well, our dear listener, you could always go back and watch something that I liked when I was a, a boy and not a very discerning boy. Mm. A beautiful, <laughs> wonderful movie from 1987. It mm. was straight to video, I'm, I think, called Pinocchio and the Emperor of the Night. Ooh. <coughs> very crummily animated dark fantasy about Pinocchio and the Emperor of the Night, who's this creepy, demonic, carnival-running presence who Pinocchio defeats in a moment of fairy tale heroism, and it's really terrible. But nice. I, I loved it when I was a kid. For some reason, who knows how I even found it was. I mean, it's the kind of thing you would have found in Blockbuster on the shelf. Yeah, back ready, ready days. for undiscerning children. <laughs> yep, and yeah, you could go watch that. I had one like that. That was an adaptation of George McDonald's Princess and the Goblin. Oh yeah, it was an animated I never saw that. film. I thought it was awesome. I think it was really poorly animated and yeah. really stupid. But yeah, yeah, you can do better. Pinocchio wise. I haven't seen a lot of Pinocchios, but I know there's a lot of them. I bet there's some really good Pinocchios out there. There was one from yeah. a couple of years ago. I think it was a French Pinocchio from like 2019 or something like that. Huh. That was supposed to be awesome. 
It's got, because so Roberto Benigni of that wonderful film, Life is Beautiful, played, did his own version of Pinocchio. That was his kind of blank check movie after Life is Beautiful. Oh, I see. I found it. Yeah. But then, but then in this one, he plays Geppetto. And I don't know much about it, but it's supposed to be wonderful. Okay. I'm, I'm looking at this trailer right now. Yeah. It certainly got the visuals. It's live action, not animated. Right. But yeah, it's got, I mean, I remember there's a really horrible version with Martin Landau and Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Yes. Like, a Disney, yes. right? Live action. Yeah. Ugh. Remember that? That was awful. Yes. Whatever that was. But this, yeah, this actually looks really cool. Yeah, I might have to check that out. This looks really good. Just just on a visual filmic level. Cool. All right, folks. Maybe we'll be back with a review of whatever that Pinocchio. Is that one just called Pinocchio? It's just called Pinocchio. And what and year is it from? It is 2019. You're okay. right. By Matteo Garon. I have no idea who that is. He's he's an Italian guy, actually. Okay. So this is another, of course, Benini, right? Benini's right. in it. So this is another Italian movie. Yeah, I mean, it's an Italian fairy tale, I guess, so, huh? or whatever you want to call it. Cool. Uh, all right. Well, uh, what else is cool is to go to patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies and make a donation and be part of our Discord, all that kind of stuff. And you can also, for the right price, be one of our Patron Choice Award of Awesomeness winners, like Anthony. What, what makes Anthony so great, Ben? Oh, Anthony. If Anthony were a wooden puppet, then I think he would, he would, he would learn the lessons that I guess this Pinocchio didn't really ever learn. Or that maybe, maybe I guess Pinocchio doesn't ever really learn. He would learn them. Yes. Yeah. I agree. If Anthony was a wooden puppet, he would learn the lessons that Pinocchio never learned. And certainly that this Pinocchio never He would learn to be a good son. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. The Pinocchio learned that uh, eventually. It took him a while. But all right. Well, until next time. Music's almost done. We need a line. What happens, happens. Then we are gone. Ugh. Ha, <laughs> ha,